That thing's hot. I like it like that. That's good. Hey, it's good to see everybody here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to page one in your Bible. This will be real easy. thought since it's Thanksgiving, you know, everybody's still in the Thanksgiving turkey lag thing. Make it easy for you this morning. But hey, um, you're stuck with me this morning. And I, I, I want to say, um, I don't know if, did you tell him where he, where pastor is? Okay. I need to let y'all know something. I appreciate your pastor. Y'all don't know how good y'all have it, Pastor Rob. I, I'm going to tell you why I appreciate him. So last year at this time, what well, was probably the second week of December, I was roping at the World Series roping in Vegas. And my son was roping, and we were also roping the Patriot. My son was roping there at the Patriot, and he was roping the Rising Stars, the calf roping. We were downtown at the plaza, downtown Vegas, and Brother Rob got up during the Rising Stars thing in between rounds and presented the gospel <clears throat> to hundreds of people that were uh, on both sides. The Patriot was on one side, Rising Stars was on the other side of the arena, and so the sound, you could hear it all over the whole area, and he preached the gospel, and there were a ton of people saved. As a result of it. Now, you don't know, wait, you don't know how big a deal that is. Because I have heard hundreds of cowboy services. Matter of fact, I was in one last Sunday at a roping. I can't tell you how many preachers get up and preach and they'll read scripture or something, tell a little story and have a little Bible study devotion, say, okay, y'all, uh, let's pray for the horses and for the, you know, bless your roping and all that. And you never hear about Jesus, never hear about the gospel, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and never give people a chance to pray to receive Christ. They'll talk about how their arena was built, covered arena was built for the glory of God and hear the gospel, but you never hear the gospel. And so Brother Rob preaches the gospel. And so he is right now at the Lazy E in Guthrie, uh, Oklahoma, at the Rising Stars, preaching the gospel today where there will probably be more people hear the gospel message today at the Lazy E right there than comes through your church the entire year. That's how big a deal it is. So when y'all give him opportunities to do that, God has given him that platform, that's a big deal. He doesn't waste it. He takes advantage of it, and he presents the gospel, and y'all need to be thankful for a pastor that does that and continue to support him in doing that um, because I appreciate it. He's the only one that I know besides me that presents the gospel at those, you know, cowboy services and stuff. So y'all thank him and y'all support him, pray for him, encourage him. Matter of fact, tell you what I want to do. I'm directionally challenged when I'm inside of the four walls of a building. So which way is west? That way? This way? All right, so here's what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to extend your hands that direction to the pastor because I know he's preached already this morning. Uh, but he is also going to have opportunities to do one-on-one -on -one witnessing and stuff to families and people coming that direction, okay? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, lift up Brother Rob to you right now. I pray, God, that you give him favor with those parents and with the students and that there will be many people come to know Christ uh, today. God, bless him, use him, um, and that people be respond to him uh, and, and they'll listen to the message of the gospel. Thank you, Father. And bless and protect him on his way home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, students, I want to apologize because those of y'all that were with me at camp, you heard this message, but I felt really led that I need to preach this. So maybe you just need to hear it two times, okay? But um, here's what's going on. And here's the reason why I feel like 
led to preach this message. We, we've had a lot go down since February. Amen? I, I mean, our lives in the country has totally changed since February. You're, you're talking about the corona. Co- nobody, nobody knew about COVID in February. I mean, you know, all, until then. And, and so all of our lives, the country has been shut down economically, financially, um, uh, physically, emotionally. Uh, we've had schools shut down. People have not gone to proms or graduations. I mean, there have been schools that have done stuff like that. Churches have been shut down. When, when would you have ever thought in our lifetime in America that our, our churches would be closed by the governor or that they would be sued for having church or singing in church? So not only that, we've had five, at least, I know, five hurricanes and people have died because of hurricane. We've had uh, defund the police, Antifa, uh, riots in the streets. We've had all kinds of junk going down. Barna polled Americans and asked this. If you could ask God one question and you knew that he would give you the answer to it, what would that question be? Without fail, the number one question. People in the United States, whether they're Christian or not, number one question they would ask God is, why do bad things happen to good people? More to the point, why do bad things happen to me? So here's the deal. I'm not an expert in this deal. I'm not, you know, I just know somebody who is. And his name is God. And so let's just go to his source his word, and let's see what his word has to say about why do bad things happen to good people. All right? First of all, why does God allow evil to begin with? Look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, at the very beginning. The Bible says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Verse 31. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Let me ask you a question. What you see on the news at night, is it good? It's not, is it? We don't see good stuff. So then what in the world happened? Because God, when the Bible says when God created, He created Adam and Eve. He created them in His image, and everything was good. So what happened that all of a sudden, all this evil, all this bad stuff came out of nowhere? What, 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 did God do it? Did God allow it? Did He create evil? Well, let's see what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Pick up the story. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. Now, you might want to underline that in your Bible or circle, circle it. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So what did God do? God told Adam and Eve, You can eat from any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You eat of this tree, you will die. He didn't say you might die. He said you will die. All right, so God gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose right from wrong. That's called free will. So what did Adam and Eve do? They started out hanging over there out by the wrong tree. You say, what what are y'all doing? Why would you do that? We do the same thing. And so here they are hanging out by the wrong tree. Not only do they hang out by the wrong tree, they end up not only touching the tree, but eating from the tree. And what happens? From that one action, sin entered the world. Not only does sin, but death, destruction, pain, evil, junk, 
everything happened. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race and death spread to everyone. So as a result of Adam and Eve sinning, disobeying God, all this disease, death, destruction, mosquitoes, everything entered into the world. That was a, I'm, are y'all not paying attention? Are y'all like, my man here's paying attention. I saw you use those. Every, all the bad stuff, everything evil entered the world as a result of that. And, but because Adam and Eve sinned. So what does, what does that say? That says humanity is responsible for sin and evil, not God. So here's the deal. What's the lesson to learn from that? Quit blaming God for stuff he didn't do. And a lot of you have been blaming God for a long time, for junk in your past. You're blaming God for something he didn't do. Quit blaming God for that. It's not on him. That's on you or on us. On us, humanity. And you say, well, okay, well, why did God do that then? Why didn't he just create us where we didn't choose bad stuff? Well, because it's called free will. God wants us to voluntarily choose him. Because we want to, not because we have to. Show you case in point about my wife. I got married when I was 33. Thank you, Jesus. Prayed for my, it wasn't because I wanted to be single for a long time. I didn't like it. I, I didn't want to be single. I, I wanted to be married. I mean, I, I, but you think about this. So from the time I was 19, I've been traveling on the road preaching. And so you're gone 30, 40 weeks a year, plus going through college and seminary and all that stuff. So no life, no no friends, you know, to hang out with, stuff like that. No way to meet a wife and that kind of deal. So you're going place to place to place. So I got tired of it when I was 33. I, I went on a 40-day fast. I'm like, God, I'm serious about this. I'm not playing around. I, I, I need a wife. I want a wife. So I prayed and fasted. God gave me a promise out of Isaiah 62 that he had somebody for me. And so I held on that promise. Three months later, God gave me my wife. When we met, we met in the end of October, started dating in February, and then by the summer I knew she's the one. All right? So all this stuff, this five-year mess of dating, no. Uh, y'all need to, if y'all doing that, y'all need to quit it. You, you need to like put a ring on it, get on with it, or do something. But this five-year mess, no, that's not of God. I'm just telling you that right now. Get yourself in trouble. So make a decision. Of course, by the time you're 33, I could, I could date a girl one time, know whether she's not. I was like, nope, that's not. Next. So like, you know, not it. Yes. So when I, when she came across, yep, that, that's one. Everything on my list. Plus God gave me a bonus page. Wasn't even expected. So, by the summer, I knew she was it, but I was in the middle of writing my dissertation for my doctoral. So I'm like, it's going to take two, you know, I, I want to prepare right to, you know, do this thing. So I took, after I finished that, I took a month preparing how I was going to propose. I mean, this is serious, a big deal. And, and all this, all you people doing this stuff, not surprising, like where y'all talk marriage and look at rings and all that. That is for the birds. Y'all can forget that. No. We did, I did not tell my wife I loved her. I did not, we, we did not look at rings. We did not pick out rings. So all you girls are going, well, how is she, what about is she getting the one she wants and stuff? You know what I did? I bought a cubic zirconian diamond inserted in a real band, a platinum band. And so then if she didn't like it, I just get her different, whatever she wanted, cause it's cubic zirconian. Put the real thing in it, whatever cut you want. Bam! 
That's what I'm talking about. So, by the way, the cut I picked out, she liked. I just got her the real thing, put it in there. Kept the fake one in case she loses it. But anyway, so here's the deal. That's the way it works. <laughs> so you got to think about these things. So what I did was I took my wife at the time, my girlfriend, uh, was she was really my special friend, wasn't even girlfriend yet, and so uh, took her riding horses because I thought, you know, every time we ride horses, she'll think about time to propose and all that. Well, so 70 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, went to Benbrook Lake. We went riding horses all day, got through riding horses, came back, tied the horses up to the trailer, had a picnic bench thing that I had a little spot, you know, rented right there. Had a white tablecloth put out there, put the candles going, stuff like that. Had a little Kenny G playing in the truck. And uh, cooked her a five-course meal. Her favorite food, steak, baked potato. It's my kind of woman. That's why I proposed to her. So I had the steak going on, baked potato, corn on the cob on the grill and stuff. Had a five-course dinner. You know, she'd already had, I'd given her like those uh, cheeses, all kinds of cheeses and crackers stuff. Then I gave her like the little strawberries and grapes with the little chocolate dips in them and stuff like that. So then now now we're on to dessert. Okay, dessert, her favorite dessert is cheesecake. I didn't know what kind of cheesecake she wanted, so I got five different kinds of cheesecake for her to choose from. So we're having that, eating that, you know. Sun's going down. Kenny G's playing in the truck. I threw her off because I told her we're celebrating her spiritual birthday. So that's how she, she you know, she didn't have any clue. Remember, I hadn't told her I loved her yet at all. Nothing like that. All right. So I said, uh, I got your present in the truck. So I come out and get her present. She wanted a Beth Moore book. Well, I bought her every Beth Moore book she'd ever written. That woman's written some books. Do y'all know that? She's written... So she had a box of books right there. So she gets all excited. So I said, oh, I forgot I got one more for you in the truck. So I go to the truck. I had a scroll written, rolled up with ribbon tied on it, a poem I wrote to propose to her. And so I said, I sit down on the bench. She's sitting right there. And I said, here, this is for you. So she took it. She unrolls it. Title is To My Beloved. I said, well, wait. I wrote this for you. I said, let me, let me read it to you. She said, okay. So... In the poem, it talks about how, you know, she stood out and all that and rhymes and all that kind of stuff. Talks about how awesome she is. Get to the end. Bottom, last paragraph, says this. I want you to be flesh in my flesh and bone in my bones. So as I pose this question to you, will you be my bride, Miss Jennifer Ray Jones? So what I do is, so I, before I say, I say the first line, I say, I want you to be flesh in my flesh, bone in my bones. I go down, I get in front of her, I get on my knee, I pull out the ring. And before I even ask the question... She jumps down and tackles me. And she goes, yes, 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 yes. And she's crying and stuff, and I'm crying. Said, Dude, I'm 33 years old. I mean, this this is finally God brought me the woman. And so I'm, I'm crying and stuff. So we do this for like five minutes. And so I, we get through crying and stuff. I go, I go, well, wait, honey, wait. She goes, what? I said, I'm not finished. I worked hard on this point. She goes, okay, okay. So she gets back up on the bench. I finish. Will you be my bride, Miss Jennifer Jones? She tackles me again. Yes, yes. And she cries. We're crying. Here's the deal. That's the way God wants us to be with Him. God wants us to want Him, to choose Him because we want to, not because we have to. Listen, I don't want my wife marrying me because she's got a shotgun at her back saying, no, you better marry this boy right now. Do it right. That's shotgun wedding. No, I, I don't want a shotgun wedding. I want her to want me. And we had never talked marriage, rings, nothing. But I knew what the answer was going to be. 
And that's the way God wants us. God wants, He created us to want to choose Him. Because we get to, not because we have to, not because we're forced to, but because we want to. Otherwise, you say, yeah, you want God to make us choose the right decisions? Then you know what that's called? That's called a robot. That's not a relationship. And God created us for a relationship with Him. Not something that's forced. That's why there's all this evil and this junk in the world. You say, okay, Ronnie, I get it that God warned us. And that's out of Acts chapter 17, by the way, uh, where it says in verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why did God do this? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God, God wants a relationship. He created you right now, this place, this time, here, and this town, because he wants a relationship with you. You say, okay, Ronnie, but I, I get it. God wants a relationship with me. But, Ronnie, what I don't get, I, I mean, I, I don't get why bad things happen to good people. I, I mean, I get it, Ronnie, why bad things happen to bad people. I mean, I mean, think about it. The guy robs the store, he gets shot in a robbery, or he gets caught and thrown in jail. I get that. He deserved that. I, I get that. But, but, Ronnie, what I don't get is guy robbing a store, and there's a shootout, and an innocent child gets shot in the middle of all that and gets killed. I, I don't get that. All right, y'all ready for this, Christians? Hear this loud and hear this clear. Christians have bad stuff happen to them. Christians get cancer. Christians lose their jobs. Christians have bad stuff happen. And it's not a question of if it's going to happen. No, matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised that this will happen to you. No, suffering is going to come. It's not a question of if it's going to come. It's when and how bad it's going to be. And that, that's not a pessimistic view of life. That's a realistic view of life. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, He says He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. No, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. Listen, my son, he gets that. He got that at 12 years old. My son at 12 years old won't ride a bull. Hey, he won't ride bulls. I'm going to ride bulls, daddy. I'm going to ride bulls. I said, all right, we're going to let you ride a bull, all right? So I don't know the first thing about riding bulls, except hold on. That's all I know. R- wrote, wrote a couple when I was a kid, you know, got thrown off right there, you know, in the, in the pen when we're working cows and stuff. That's about all I did. I said, I'll take you to a bull riding coach. So I took a bull riding coach. Bull riding coach looked at my wife. First thing she said, he said to my wife, he said, looked her square in the eye. He said, uh, ma'am, you need to know this. He said, uh, your son... He's going to get hurt. It's not a question of if he's going to get hurt. It's when he's going to get hurt and how bad it's going to be. Scared my wife to death. Not my boy, 12 years old. Oh, yeah, they don't ride a bull. I'm excited. I don't ride a bull. I don't ride a bull. All right, so the bull riding coach gave him lessons that week. Go to ride a bull. First one, Little Britches Rodeo. Gets his own bull. Got him on pay for the whole weekend for him to ride, okay? Gets on his first bull. He's all excited. He's nervous, scared. Gets on there, bucked off, hurt. Right, first ride, first ride, hurt. He's he's done. No, daddy, I won't ride a bull no more. I, ride. I said, no, son. I paid for two days of riding. That entry fee is paid for tomorrow. You are riding that bull. So what do we do? Get to the next day. I said, come on, son. You gonna ride the bull? No, no, daddy, I won't ride a bull. I won't ride a bull. Uh, no, no, you riding. You told me you wanted to ride. 
So I paid. We're doing it. No, Daddy. Oh, what? I, you are getting on. I'm dragging him. Dragging him to the chute. We get to the chute. Pablo, the world champion bull riders, pulling his rope for him. And he's, Jake is getting up to the chute. Daddy, oh, I'm scared. Daddy, oh, right. I said, you are getting on this bull. You said you want to ride bull. You're going to ride a bull. This entry fee is paid for. Dude, I want to. He's getting on the bull. He's on the bull looking up at me. Pablo's pulling his rope. He's scared. Dude, I want to. Crying. Tears. Crocodile tears. Pablo's looking at me like, hey, dude, he can come to my house. He can practice next week. I said, Pablo, be quiet. I said, he's riding this bull. And he, Pablo, okay. He pulled her up. He said, my son, Daddy, I don't want to. I want to ride. I want to ride a bull. I'm scared, dude. He's crying. I said, son, you said you were riding. I said, if you get off this bull, we're done. Okay, Daddy, we're done. We're done. I said, okay, all right. So he gets on the bull. My wife's coming, hugging me, loving me. Thank you. for him. He was done. You know why? Because he knew suffering was going to come. It's going to, he was going to get hurt. He didn't want none of it. And I was glad he was done with it with bull riding. Because there's longevity in roping. But here, but here's the deal. Here's the thing. I want you to know this. Nobody has to teach us to avoid pain. We don't want pain, do we? Hey, I'm with you. I, I'm a preacher. Just because I'm a preacher don't mean I get a free ride on this deal. Hey, we don't want, and nobody has to teach, even as kids. Listen, how many of you kids here? Y'all get whipped by your parents? Raise your hand, you get whipped. Raise your hand. Come on, raise it. Raise it. I know you whip your kids. I know you do. That woman, yeah, uh-huh. How many, right here. Y'all, none of y'all get whipped? Y'all need to be whipped. What, mama, you're not whipping these two girls? What's up with that? Y'all better raise your hand then. She whipped, yes. Listen, right, kids, raise your hand. Where's the, I got, I need some little ones. Okay, I, you're not, you're big. All right, listen. My mom would whip me as a kid. Let me tell you what she'd do. My mom would whip me with a belt. I'm not talking about one of the little suit belts, little suit, little pants. No. My mom had a leather belt. It was one of them tall ones. It was thick. had her name on the back. Had a belt buckle, real belt buckle. Not, not, not one of them like suit belts, little belt buckle. I'm talking about real belt buckle. She would double that thing over. Take her cigarette. Put... And I don't know how she could, my mom could whip her with her cigarette in her mouth and it just have like an inch of ash and it not even fall off. It'd just be like hanging down like that. And she could whip me. She would grab me by one hand, take that belt with the other hand and go black through and, and even puff like circles and stuff. And, and she would take that belt and she just, I told you boy, whop! And what do you want to do? Hey kids, when they start to whip, what do you want to do? Jump, right? And so it'd be like this. I told you not to do. And so we're doing this right. But kids, let me tell you something. Those y'all get whipped, I'm gonna give you a little tip today. This is from church. I know you never thought you'd get a tip on getting whipped. Alright, but here it is. When you get whipped, keep your feet on the ground. Boys looking at me like, why? He, little boy back here, he's like, huh? Listen, listen, let me tell you why. Because if you keep your feet on the ground, you get whipped. So you got underwear on up here. If you get whipped, that's extra padding. You get whipped, you clear it, it's down here. It's just the legs. It's just a pair of blue jeans then. All right? And it hurts worse. So if you stay, I know you don't want to. I know you want to jump. But if you jump, you're clearing that extra padding. So think about it. All right? 
Now, hey, let me tell you something else, kids. Little boy back here that's interested in this. Let me tell you, hey, it's winter time. Wear your long johns. Wear them all the time. I don't care. And then in the summertime, you'll be thinking, you'll be wanting to wear long johns all the time. Everybody else went around in shorts. You're like, I'm wearing my long johns. It's because it covers, it's extra padding, covers the other stuff down there, see? And so what my mom would do is, she'd take me, she'd go, I told you! And we'd jump her up. One time she whipped me, I jumped, I cleared the belt, the belt came back around her, hit her in the hand, bust a blood vessel. We went around two more times. But, it, but here's the deal. Nobody had to teach me as a kid to avoid pain. I didn't want to get whipped by a belt. Because I knew it hurt, right? It hurt. It's the same way as Christians. We don't want to go through the pain. I get it. I get that. But we're going to go through it. And I want to tell you this, not, not because I think what I've gone through is worse than anybody here. Because, listen, I've got friends that have gone through some stuff. And I'm like, man, they are modern day jokes. I, would, I just want to tell you this so to let you know I can relate. My wife and I went through a period of like two weeks from hell and if it was spread out over time it wouldn't you know be as bad it happened in two weeks one after another after another after another after another first day we had a tornado go through our front yard and uh hail damage a roof cars horse trailer boom second day i had to have surgery next day my horse had surgery next day my wife's credit cards are stolen Next day, we leave for Louisiana to go preach. I was in Louisiana, my wife, uh, pregnant with our twins, and my son. He was three years old at the time. So she was staying in the mobile home, uh, motor home because she wasn't feeling good. She stayed in the motor home. I go preach. And uh, I came back from preaching to the motor home. And when I walked up, I heard a bunch of commotion going on in the motor home. I didn't know what was going on. And um, I open up the motorhome, and my wife is laying on the couch of her motorhome crying, bawling her head off. My son's three. He's crying because mommy's crying. He don't know why she's crying. I walk up the steps inside, put my hand on the countertop right there, and on the left side there beside my hand on the countertop was a paper plate with one of our babies in it. The next day at noon, she had our second miscarriage and lost our second baby. We leave the revival, drive home. We get home, and my wife starts bleeding like crazy. Can't stop. Don't know, I don't know what's going on. I, I, she doesn't know what's going on. I'm thinking she's about to die. I, I, I don't know. We find out later it was a ovarian cyst that ruptured. We get to the, as we're going to the hospital, I, I, I am crying out to God. You, you got to understand from my, God, what is going on? God, I have given my life to you. I have surrendered my life since I was eight. I've given my life to you. I've been preaching since I was 14. I've been traveling on the road since I was 19. I've gotten my, my master's, my doctorate just for you. I've been traveling all, going to overseas, all these countries, telling people about Jesus. God, can't you give me some relief? Can, can you look at my wife? Don't let her die on me. But please, can you hear me? 
Have you ever felt like that before? I'm going to tell you something. Bad stuff's going to happen. And people always want to know why. People dodge this question all the time. I'm not going to dodge it. You ready? You want to know why bad stuff happens to good people and Christians and godly people? You want to know why? Here it is. Three words. You can write this down if you want to. You ready? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. There, there are things we won't know till 10 years from now. There, there's stuff that happens in our lives that we might not know 20 years from now. Or, or maybe even till we get to the other side of heaven. Hey, my mom was 17 and was raped by an 18-year-old guy. As a result of rape, she got pregnant with me. She had me. She could have had an abortion, but she didn't. My mom at 17 didn't know all the results and ramifications of what would happen after that. Now, did God cause that to happen to my mom? Did God do that to my mom? No. That was my biological father's sin that did that to my mom. No, God didn't do that. That was his sin. But my mom at 17 didn't know that her baby boy that was going to be born was going to tell people about Jesus all over the world. She didn't know that at 17. My mom at 17 didn't know that her baby boy was going to give her a grandson that she would love and cherish, and he would go tell people about Jesus as well. She didn't know that at 17. My mom at 17 didn't know that when she was in her 40s and 50s that she was going to work at a, a women's crisis pregnancy center and be able to counsel young girls that have gone through the same thing that she's gone through, and she'll be able to counsel them like nobody else. My mom at 17 didn't know that. My mom at 17 didn't know that her baby boy, when he's going out preaching and sharing his testimony, the young women who are pregnant as a result of the same thing or thinking about having abortions decide not to have an abortion because of his testimony. She didn't know at 17. And there's going to be stuff when we get to heaven, story after story after story that we hear as a result of what happened to my mom at 17, that God turned it for the good. We, we, do, we don't know. We don't know now. But we'll know down the road. We might know in heaven. I don't know a lot of stuff, but I'm going to tell you two things I do know. I know God is good, and he's in control. I don't know a lot, but I know those two things. So when we see the world's in chaos and all this junk going on in 2020 with the COVID and the political stuff and all the junk going on, hey, I don't know. I just know God is good and he's in control. That's, that's what I do know. So I don't have anything to fear. I don't have anything to worry about because God is good and he's on his throne. You say, well, Ronnie, that's me. I'm going through that junk right now. Uh, we're in the middle. Our family is in the middle of a storm right now. What do we do? i tell you what. I want us to look at probably the best example of somebody that went through a lot of pain and suffering. Because I have no clue of what he went through. This guy is a real guy. His name was Job. And Job lived in a real city, real time. And here In Job chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Now, I'm going to catch up on speed, just speed up the story a little bit. So, basically, here's what's happening. God's in heaven. Satan comes cruising by. God says, hey, did you see my man, Job? He said, he, he loves me. He serves me. He's faithful. 
He goes, well, Satan says, well, the only thing, the only reason he does this is because you won't let me do anything to him. He says, you give him everything. He's blessed and all that. So, of course, he's going to serve you. He's going to love you. He says, I'll tell you what. Just prove to you, my man, he will not fail me. I tell you what, you, you can do whatever you want to with him. Just don't touch him. So what's he do? Satan goes down and says, watch, he's going to fold. So he goes down there and just unleashes it on him. And, you know, just if it was modern day, it'd be like he lost everything. He, it'd be like us losing our portfolio, our retirement savings, our business, our jobs, everything, our, just one thing after another. So what's happening, he loses his camels, his servants, his cows, his sheep. One after another, bad report after bad report. Five, the last report, as he sat there in Job 1 verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters, they were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners on the house, it collapsed on them, and they're all dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Verse 20. At this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What do do we do when tragedy comes? When tragedy hits? We do what Job did. Job worshiped the Lord. Job, he worshiped the Lord because God is worthy of worship. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you are in the mood or not, God was there for Job. Job worshiped God. God was there for him. God will be there for you. Job worshiped God because he's worthy. The Bible says in Psalms 48.1, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain. Not only do we worship God because He's worthy, we worship God because He's good. In Luke 18, 19, Jesus said, God is good and God alone. God is good because He said He's good. Not because you say He's good, not because I say He's good, not because we vote on it, get a 98% approval rating, God is good. God is good because He said He's good. And we worship Him. You say, but Ronnie, what I'm going through is not good. I don't feel like it's good. Hey, guess what? Uh, God said in Isaiah 55, 8, He says, I don't think the way you think. And the way you work isn't the way I work, says the Lord. Hey, God's on a whole different playing field than we are. He knows stuff that's going on behind the scenes we have no clue about. And he don't think the way we think. You say, well, if if stuff would happen to Job, if that happened to me, I couldn't get through it. Yes, you could. You say, no, I couldn't. You don't know me. No, I don't know you. But I know God. And I know God can get you. God got Job through it. He can get you through it. He said, but man, I don't, I don't feel like it. Well, let me show you what else Job did. Not only did he worship God, he ran to God. And if you'll see there, when tragedy comes, it's going to make you do one of two things. Okay? It'll either make you run to God and serve Him and worship Him and, and, and look for strength from Him, or it'll make you turn from God and become mad at God and blame God. It'll make you bitter or it'll make you better. You, you don't believe me? Hey, case in point, look around. Look around. Have y'all always had one service here in this building? In this building? Okay. Y- y'all look around. 
Because I know also at Tahlequah, uh, it wasn't full capacity. And, and guess what? It's not unique to your church. In churches everywhere I go all across the country, it's the same thing. Attendance across the board in churches everywhere, 50% minimum down since COVID. See, tragedy came, and you see a bunch of people flock like a covey of quail. Because why? It'll make you turn to God, or it'll make you turn away from God and blame Him. One of the two things. So you can see what's going on right here. Just in our plain sight. People that used to sit by you, around you, they are not here. Why? They turned away from God and ran from God instead of turning to Him. So the Bible says this in Job thirteen fifteen: Though He slay me, yet will I hope in Him. No, we turn to God. Listen, just because we're not getting our way don't mean we take our toys and run. No, you run harder to God than you've ever run to God. You serve Him more. You praise more. You give more. You read His Word more. You pray more. You keep on running hard after God like never before. That's where the answer is. And let let me tell you this. There's nothing wrong when you're going through stuff like this with asking God why. Okay? God's a big boy. He can take it. It's okay to ask Him why. Hey, listen. Just don't expect him to give you the answers. Jesus asked why on the cross. Think about it. He, why, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, when he was in the, in the garden, before he went to the cross, he's like, hey, hey, God, I, I don't like this plan. Who, who would want to die on a cross? Hey, God, God I don't like this plan. I, I don't want this plan. Hey, God, you got another one, but if you don't, okay, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to submit to you. Job Asked God why in Job chapter 3. He asked God why five times. Five times in one chapter. Then what did Job do? Then he goes on and on for chapter after chapter. Trying to explain why all this bad stuff happened to him to his friends. And he's going on and on. Finally, chapter 38. God has had it up to here. He's fed up. He says, hey Job, get yourself together. Stand up on your feet. Hey big boy, you got some questions for me? All right, got one for you. Hey, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? You think you know so much, where were you when I created everything? Job, or God, never told Job why he allowed the bad stuff to happen. He just revealed more of himself to him. And what we need here today, instead of more of a bunch of answers to all of our questions... What we need is an encounter with the Holy God. See, because when you see God for who He is, then you'll see your problems for what they are. And I'll explain to you, because here's the deal. Some of you come to church, you got this little bitty God. What you do is, you take Him out of your pocket, because we're here at worship. You put Him out, you're like, Little worship, little worship, little God. Let's take a little song to him. Little worship. And then when you're through worshiping, put it back in your pocket. Okay. And then when bad stuff happens, when big problems come, you freak out. Why do you freak out? Because you got this little bitty God who has no power, no strength. But when you see God for who he is, that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Then you see your problems for what they are. Listen, I got a big God. 
He owns everything the Bible says in Psalms. The earth is his and everything in it. So if I got a financial need, bam, he can do whatever he wants at any time of the day. It's no big deal for him. If I got a health issue, he is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. I can call out to him, God can heal. Me, personally. If I got a marriage on the brinks, I could call out to him. God can save my spouse. He can restore the relationship. That's who I serve. That's the God I have. What kind of God do you have? See, the God I serve, he's the Alpha and Omega. That's who he is. And you say, Ron, are you really going to turn to somebody like God in a crisis? Uh, where else am I going to turn? Uh, I'm going to turn to the bottle. Going to turn to drugs. They're going to solve everything. Going to turn to uh, illicit sex, uh, a relationship outside of marriage. They're going to solve everything. That's going to heal everything. No, am I going to turn to suicide? That really the answer? No, no, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to turn to God. God got Job through it. God's going to get me through it. He'll do the same thing for you. That's the God I serve. And I'm going to tell you this. If you have a relationship with God, you have something to live for. If you don't have a relationship with God, as of right now, you don't have anything to live for yet. But you can today. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. If you have a relationship with Christ, you have something to live for. If you don't, that's why you're miserable. That's why you don't have any peace, any purpose in life. You can change that today. You can have a relationship with Him. You say, how? If you're willing to admit that you've sinned against this holy God, that you're willing to turn and repent of that sin and commit your life to him because he died on the cross to pay for all your sins. This, this reason we're celebrating Christmas is because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came, to save us. He didn't come to give us presents. He came to save us from our sin. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you want that relationship, you can have it right here today. You say, how? I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. Not blessing the food. If you want to say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I want to ask you to forgive my sins. And I want you to come into my life to be my boss, my Lord, my best friend. If you've never done that before and you want to, then right where you're seated, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me and invite Christ to come to your life. And he'll give you peace that you've never had before. He'll change your life today. If that's you and you want that relationship, then I'm going to ask you to give me just two minutes. I'm going to ask nobody to get up, nobody leave, not the band. Nobody, no ushers, deacons, whatever. Just give me two minutes. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? With heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you would like to today, then you pray this prayer with me right now. If you've never done this before, pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me my sins. And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around. If you're here this morning, say, Ronnie, man, for the first time in my life, I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come to my life. I always thought he was mad at me or didn't, you know, want a relationship with me. He's out to get me. I didn't know that he loved me and cared about me. But I just prayed that prayer. 
if you just pray that prayer, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, say, Ryan, I prayed that prayer. Would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ryan, that's me. Okay, got you in the back, sweetie. Say, Ryan, I prayed that prayer. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else pray that prayer over here on this side? Over here in the middle? This direction over here? You prayed that prayer, just look up at me and let me catch your eyes. All right. Would those that prayed that prayer just keep looking up just for a second? Everybody else's heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to know this. According to what the Bible says, God has forgiven you of everything you've ever done. That is good news. And here's the good thing about God is that God will never leave you. You know, the Bible says in Psalms, it says, though my mother or father forsake me, God says, I never will. There'll be a lot of people leave us, die on us, abandon us, whatever. He says, but I'll never leave you. So that's good news. He's come to live in you. He's come to forgive you, restore you, and be with you through every single thing you go through. You say, okay, so what's that mean now? Well, now you're a Christ follower. You say, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Well, Jesus said, the one who died on the cross for you, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, he said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. He says, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father who's in heaven. It's imperative we take a stand for him. We let everybody know we're follow Christ. He said, well, well, how do I do that? Here's what's going to happen. In just a second, we're going to stand all over this building with heads bowed and eyes closed. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, he's going to lead us and sing. As a matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and come on up. When I say amen, he sings. I'll be standing right down here. All of you that pray that prayer, you can just come to me. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. They're going to take you to the side. They're going to pray with you, give you some material. If you don't have a Bible, they're going to give you a Bible. Because you start a spiritual journey with God today. We'll help you grow and get to know Him. You say, okay, so what do we do? We'll go over there. We're just going to pray with you, do that. We're not going to stick a microphone in your face, nothing like that. We're just going to celebrate with you, and we're excited for you. So, but there's, Jesus said, hey, you want to take a stand for me? When we get to heaven, I'm not going to take a stand for you. I don't know about you. When I get to heaven... I want Jesus to look at me and say, hey, that's Ronnie. Come on in. So here's your first opportunity. We stand. I pray. I say amen. He sings. You step out and come. If you want to come with a friend, a spouse, a loved one, a mom, a dad, ask them to come with you. They'd be glad to do that. Can you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? As soon as I say amen, you step out and come. We have some encouragers here. Got some encouragers. Hang on, just look at me. Which ones are we? Got one here, I know. Encouragers, when I say amen, come and stand on that front row right there, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for those that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you right now. Bless their obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, sings. You come on right now. Oh, you heard.